Locked and loaded. Numbers are running. We're good. Let it rip, Stacey. Thank you, Yago Dora, for saving my pathetic picks at El Salvador and coming home strong with the win. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you, Yago. Congratulations, Yago. First CT win. Amazing. And congratulations, me, for cashing in on Stace's pick and winning a whole lot of money. But we'll get to that. Stace, a lot happened last week. I mean, obviously, Yago and Katie winning is huge news, but it's not quite up there with the WSL CEO just suddenly departing. No, not at all. And uh, I know you guys have been all across it on the site, as has every surf media outlet. And uh, yeah, super bizarre. I mean, look, as the days go on with no real report, it you know, it only leaves time for m- more stories, I guess, to come out. And sometimes a rumor is more fun than the truth, Mikey. <laughs> it sure is. So to be clear, have you heard anything? What do you know? You're kind of on the inside. Yeah, look, I'll be honest. I have definitely been trying to mule around and get some uh, intel, particularly I'm actually recording this podcast directly under the WSL Australasia head office. Uh, and Oh, that's treasonous. It's sort of weird. I feel like a Trojan horse. Uh, but um, no, look, I haven't heard a thing. The staff, and again, this is the funny thing with the tour and you know, whatever happens moving forward, like communication is, is seriously not their strong point. I have to say that. The surfers, the staff, found out the same time as me. <laughs> and I'm just on the email list. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's no, there was just like blanket communication to everyone. Like, hey, this is what's just happened. And, um, you know, more to come. But there hasn't been more to come. So, yeah, it's going to be... Um... We don't know who's going to be the next CEO. We did a piece on the site sort of doing our uh, fantasy picks for who that might be. Obviously, a lot of these people are very surf-centric as opposed to the non-surf-related people that have led the WSL in the recent past. Buck and I are going to break that down a little bit further on the Friday episode of The Drop later this week. But Stace, if you had to put someone's name up for CEO, who would it be? Um, so firstly, to me, the CEO of an organization in you know what I would say in tumultuous times, you, you don't need the best business head. You, you need the best... PR person and uh, I could think of plenty of times where sports around the world have put a captain in place that hasn't necessarily been the best player uh, on the stat sheet but they're just really fucking good at public relations so that that's who I would pick I'd, I'd pick someone in there who has the people on side and I'll just make sure that person their title might be CEO sure they're the big dog but behind them they have a really really strong team you know, which is obviously the case with every business. That's how it works. Whether it's a CEO, a CFO, a COO, there's all these other people that you know are very influential behind the scenes. And and I would I would make sure that person, whoever the CEO was, was supported really well with with people around him that that could, or her that could uh, you know help help the vision. So I mean, I, I will get more specific on that. Like I think it being led by a surfer is probably not the worst idea for public relations. However, that, that person would have to have like an Andrew Stark behind them or an Evan Slater or if, if you get where I'm going with this, like you can't forget Starky ran. You're saying that leaders are puppets and they're just part of a bigger system wherein everything's controlled by the 0.1%. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's you get exactly going. what I'm saying. And uh, look, I think, I think with someone like, you know, for me, someone who, who will have a very big influence on where this goes and you mentioned it on the site which is a really good observation like the WSL rarely hire from within and you know Starkey ran the tour out here in Australia when I still had to print off a border pass to go from freaking Tweed Heads to Queensland which 
you know, sounds ridiculous to even say that now. So just the lifting that he did and his business savvy and his ability to, to, get, to get shit done, mate, unparalleled. Like, uh, you know, at that time in the world, what he did there, I definitely, I definitely think will be one of the biggest, um, you know, draw cards in his resume if he's looking to, you know, go for that job. All right. So Stasis got Starkey. I've got Bobby Martinez. Let's get in to the Vivo Rio Pro. <laughs> I can't just leave you there. So Bobby's actually on the Gold Coast at the moment, actually. So maybe we could bring him up to the WSL APAC headquarters and, and start the negotiations. Perfect. Let's get it going. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you're right, Brazil. Wow. Um, Come-ups, Mikey, what are they? Oh, okay. Well, I got a few. Um, First and foremost, Iago and Katie. Iago gets his first CT win. Stace gets another win on the year. You've had quite a few this year on your pick, so well done on that. Um, Iago goes to fifth in the world. He's now inside the top five. He has ousted Gabriel Medina from that coveted slot. Um, obviously the, the next two events are going to be pivotal for everyone that wants to be in the top five, but right now we're looking at Felipe in first. Uh, he just nipped Griffin by making an extra heat. Griffin dropped to second. Then we have Ethan with an, I'd say, dare I say unexpected final jumps to third. Joao's on to fourth, holding on for dear life. Um, and like I said, Yago's in fifth. So congratulations to Yago. He has put himself in a really good position going into the last two events of the year. Remember last year, he made, I believe, the quarters at J-Bay, did some really fine backside surfing. I think his backside surfing has come a long way. No reason why he couldn't replicate that. And obviously, at Chopes as well, he's a threat. So he's a legitimate chance to be in this year's Final Five. So well done, Diago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like he will need to repeat that performance if he's to hang on to that fifth spot. There's a bit of daylight there between, say, fourth and fifth. However, from 5th down to 11th, it is game on. There is not a lot of points separating those surfers. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about Gab, John, Italo, Leo's right in that mix now. Um, a lot of big names are, are floating around in that space, and a lot of guys who can surf really well at J-Bay and Chopes. It's going to be a big race, we already know that, but as of now... Another big thing that we can talk about is that Gabby is now out of Olympic contention as well. So if he doesn't manage to find himself in that top five, he's not even going to have a prayer of getting into the Olympics, unless, of course, Brazil wins the 2024 ISA World Games. So, yeah, of course, we're, you know, it's the WSL. We're talking about world titles. But this year, we've really got two different races going on at the same time, um, both of which require you to be in the top five to have a chance if you're from a country like Brazil or the U.S. or maybe Australia. Yeah, yeah, definitely Australia. So like Ethan Ewing right now, he's doing he's doing wonders for his chance to qualify for the Olympics and you know, we're not really an Olympic focused podcast, but I can tell you right now, being an Olympian, it holds a lot of water in a lot of boardrooms around the world. Like if you're looking like you're making the Olympics, the non-endemic stickers just come flying out of nowhere. I agree. And I mean, obviously anybody wants to be in the Olympics, but I'm sure Jack right now, who has slipped out of the top five, he has got to be punching air. So I think we're going to get into him a little bit later. But on the women's side, Katie Simmers, I mean, she was my pick. So let's just state that because Stace already got to claim his Yago thing and the first thing that he said in this entire podcast. I picked Katie as my dark horse. I said one of the youth was going to win. She pulled it off. Narrowly, it was looking the way that the waves changed um, throughout the course of the event. Like it definitely suited itself more toward the veterans toward the end, and 
Uh, I think Katie did really well to get past Carissa and then Tyler in those last two heats. That was really impressive. But she did it super convincingly as well. Never really put a foot out of place. And her strategy was really simple. She took off on the biggest, best waves that she could and hit the biggest section on that wave. And most of the time she made it and basically was getting scores with one or two turns on waves. And that is, I mean, for someone her age to be taking on waves of that size, I mean, she's she's so much smaller physically than like a Carissa. And yet her turns look just as big. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. It is really wild. And like another thing that I noticed that she was doing was she was just sitting a bit further out. Like you said, she was looking for the bigger waves, which don't really offer that amazing first section or like amazing ride at all but what they do offer is the big ugly end section at the end which she was just absolutely going for and you know that's a tip of the cap to Tom Whitaker he's been to Sakurama a lot he's even competed there back in the day when he was uh, still doing the QE he knows the place really well and uh, that, that strategy I've seen him use that in the past with Kanoe Garashi and other surfers that he's worked with and that's sit the furthest out ride the biggest waves and do the single or two biggest turns you can do and, um, you know, it's one thing to be able to say that standing on the beach, but for her and, you know, for Katie to go out and be able to execute that, it, again, she's just showing competitive prowess well beyond her years. A funny thing, though, to note is she's obviously the coolest person on the world tour, but my God, is she competitive. In one of her interviews, which I'll try and find, She's basically said it was good to beat Molly Picklin because she's the golden girl and it was good to put her in her... Uh, oh, good to beat her. And I was just like, yes! Fire up! She fully had to stop herself from like going full turbo and just completely cooking her. Well, it's funny because... And I know they're good friends, but like, bring it on. It's sick. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And to your point, they are good friends. Um, Molly was in Katie's film that she released last year, or maybe it was early this year. Yeah, it was, it was early this year. Um, Toasted where they did a big trip to Mexico together. It looked awesome. They're super close, but I do know that like, you know, Molly obviously came out super hot this year and I think, um, kind of separated herself from that younger generation a little bit, at least, you know, in the minds of people watching and maybe her mind. And I can imagine Katie saw that and was like, okay, game on. And obviously has come back pretty fiery. She's won two events this year, both of which uh, were in beach breaks. I don't know if that's, um, you know, going to be a theme in her career, but she's obviously very, very adept in beach breaks, grew up in Oceanside. And another interesting thing about Katie, we talked about Yago um, and the race for that final fifth spot being very close be between all the people below him. Katie has 7,000 points between herself and Steph and Tati. So, I mean, she's in a really, really good position. If she gets a pretty good result at J-Bay, which based on her surfing, you'd have to assume she will, and then doesn't completely shit the bed at Chopes, she's looking really strong to be in the top five at the end of the year. Yeah, she's nearly an event ahead. Like, she's basically a last to a second ahead of, of the rest of the field, which is that, like you said, she just needs to make a couple of hits at J-Bay, and, and the final five will be locked going into Chopes, which is disappointing, to say the least. Well... I mean, obviously, if you're an Australian, that's disappointing. But if no, nah, I mean, not at all. No, nah, I, I, I'm all, I'm all for Katie. Like, I, I think that like what Steph did last year was amazing. But if, if it was Katie to beat Steph in that fifth position, that's that's fine by me. Like, she deserves to be there. It's not, definitely not an Australian perspective. It's more just the fact that they cut the tour down, and if the top five can separate themselves from that much from the rest of the five, there's there's definitely been a you know a, a 
big gap in the performance there yeah. from from the rest of the pack, and which is that's not that's not what we're used to seeing on the women's tour. It's usually really stacked from like eighth to first. Yep. And speaking of the top end of the pack, there's a lot of separation between the top two and everybody else. Carissa and Tyler have really taken a strong lead. Tyler's just nipping at Carissa's heels. Chris is still holding on to the yellow jersey despite Tyler making the final. I think if Tyler would have won, she might have surpassed Carissa. But those two are certainly the most consistent performers this year. Like, it's pretty undeniable. Uh, I think Tyler, like, Carissa obviously is sort of like the peak competitor in female surfing. It's undeniable. Fuck, I just said undeniable again. I mean, Chris is obviously like the... Mikey, you're undeniably the greatest surf podcaster. It's just undeniable. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even think I cracked the top 12, unfortunately. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, we don't actually. Our ratings are horrible. Please tune in more. <laughs> <laughs> but Tyler, to me, has had this full mad dog thing going on this year where she just looks like not unbeatable, but like she doesn't think that she should ever lose. And that's a good mindset to have if you are that person and a scary mindset to come up against if you're her competitor. No, I know exactly what you mean. Like going into the last day, like if it's Tyler v Carissa in the final matchup, best of three, um, yeah, I'd have to say that Tyler's looking the, the most savage this year. Yeah, but Carissa, on the other hand, to me, again, is just the best. So you put her on a couple good waves and she's going to drop eights, probably even nines at lowers, but... That's a long way out. So we know that those two are qualified for the final five. That's official. The WSL has announced it. They're the only two surfers, men or women, that are officially going to be in finals day at lowers. But we also know that, you know, a few of the men are pretty much locked as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. And anything else that you want to bring up as far as come-ups go with the Vivo Rio Pro, Stacey? No, Mikey. Let's get into some letdowns. And like keeping on that theme from the women's tour and where the gaps lie and the performances and you know Tyler and Carissa right out in front and then you know Katie from fifth up to third a gap as well. That that's 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 my letdown. Like the fact that they're announcing that two servers have made the final five with two events to go, that's like that's not what I think the final five is about in creating narratives and storylines. Like you want to be seeing it go down. You kind of want like a title race within a title race, and we're not really getting that with the women at the moment. I mean. Sure, I, I get what you're saying, but on the other hand, like people were so upset that the final five even existed because it basically precluded all the hard work that some surfers did early on in the season and made it null and void in a sense by saying, "Oh, you go, you were this far ahead at the end of the season, but now you have to fight for your spot again." You know, once you get into finals day, I think it's fine. Like Carissa and Tyler have surfed so well, so consistently throughout the year. Lock them in. They shouldn't have to be worrying, you know, going into J-Bay and Chopes. And there is still, like, somebody could still come out and do really, really well in these last two events and shake things up. Like, I would say Molly's not even safe. Like, if Katie has a couple good events and then a Tati or a Steph comes in, they could very well do it. I actually think Tati might be in a better position than Steph. Sure, Steph is probably more likely to win J-Bay, but you put those two events together, J-Bay and Chopes, and Tati could easily get a couple semis and put herself right in that position. Mm. Yeah, you're right. For sure. Then the other letdowns, I go know it's out of our control, but just having like that many lay days in a row just really takes the shine off the event. And it's just, you know, it's really hard to tune into those events once they uh, stop so much like that. Well, that's why they brought out the Elo News, just to keep us engaged. Oh, oh now, now, now who's talking about Puppet Masters and 0.1% of the world controlling the narrative? <laughs> 
All right, my letdowns. I'm going to go through them quickly here. Uh, men's top five just got obliterated, barring Ethan Ewing. Everybody lost before the quarters, which actually makes the race a lot more interesting. So it's a come up in that sense. That's but... a come up for sure. Let there be blood. Carnage. <laughs> All right, another letdown. The waves. I hate to sound like a broken fucking record and say, oh, Brazil, blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, yeah, the first day the waves were small, fine. But even when they do get waves and the last day was like pretty good by the standards, like it's just not, it doesn't make me want to tune in and watch. Like I, I was never drawn to watch heats, you know, because I thought that the performance was going to be amazing. There were some matchups that I needed to see because of the narrative was there, you know, but they need to find somewhere that is going to like produce waves of a world tour caliber. And this just isn't it. Um, another one that I did see when I was watching, cause I had some money on this heat was Betty Lou letting Carissa have that wave. Stacey, you're probably asleep for this one. And the heat analyzer is down for some reason. I guess Elo was running that, so they, it, he didn't get to finish it before he bailed out. But yeah, Betty Lou was in priority over Carissa. She was leading the heat with a couple really solid scores. Carissa needed a pretty big score to take the lead. Betty Lou was sitting right next to Carissa and just let one of the most beautiful waves of the whole event just roll right under her. I guess it was a little on the smaller side, but it was one of those ones that was just so juicy and just let Carissa basically catch the exact same wave that she did against Joanne last year in the final, surfed it to a high eight, won the heat. And I, that to me was just like inexperience. You know, Betty Lou was already 0-3 against Carissa going up against her in CT heats. And, you know, I imagine that it was just, you have to make that on the spot decision. Should I go take this wave away from this person or should I hold off and hope they don't get the score? And unfortunately she made the wrong decision this time. I'm sure she'll learn from it and get better, but that was a letdown for me. Not just because I had money on Betty Lou, but I just, you know, you want to see people really take the reins and take control of their own destiny. It's true, and it's so funny how prior matchups can really affect your decision-making in that moment, which is so understandable. And and I don't know about all three matchups with Carissa that Betty's 0-3. However, I, I'm pretty sure that two of them have been really, really high-scoring shootouts. And the reason I bring that up is because when you see a smaller wave go like that, you're probably thinking, oh, I have to stick to my guns and, and I'm not going to, you know, the fear of there being like a 10 behind that wave for Betty would have been so large that she went, there's no way I'm going that small wave. I have to see what's behind it because if I go that wave and get whatever score she thought she was going to get and there's a bigger, better wave behind it, that's probably how she's lost in previous heats with Carissa that have been really high scoring. So in that sense, I, I totally get it. But like you said, with the location, Sakurama doesn't really offer up that many multiple turn clean waves. So yeah, obviously, just a bit of an error in like location judgment. But man, she's had some really good heats with Carissa over her career, and uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before she she really gets her uh, woman on woman. Yeah, I mean, come to think of it, I, I would imagine that that's got to be the hardest position to be in in a competitive surfing heat, where you have priority, you have the lead over a superior surfer, and you know that they don't need that good of a wave to get a score and it's like how do you decide what wave is good enough you know what i mean to like decide to take it off of them it's got to be impossible like i'd rather be chasing a score than have to deal with that decision yeah because the the, the worst thing about it is there's no reward in that moment for like making that right decision because 
there's another wave behind it and then another wave behind it and the, the stress just piles up and piles up and piles up and it's understandable that people crack and go, oh, and just like you see these crazy brain fades like someone will go a close out because they're trying to block them and they're just worried about the competitor and not the wave and it's so understandable because that is, you're right, it is the hardest position to be in um, and you've really got to know yourself and the competitor's strengths and that's something that I think that, that older generation like Carissa, like Steph, uh, they and, and Tyler particularly, they've, they've profiled these younger athletes. They know exactly where their strengths and weaknesses lie. Uh, and so, you know, it's something that the younger generation definitely have to keep working on. It's not just about going out and surfing. It's, can I get a score on that wave? And can that person get a score on that wave? And that needs to make the decision, not, not anything else. Yep. All right. So my last letdown from this event, and this is kind of a continuation, is Felipe Toledo's health. It's starting to feel like, you know, at the end of every event, he is dealing with some sort of physical issue. I think it was his back in El Salvador. It was his knee in Brazil. And you just got to wonder, like, is his body sort of giving out toward the back end of this year? Like, he's had a really, really strong year. He's had huge results. He's had amazing, amazing performances. But there's only so much that a body can take. We know he's had plenty of um, issues in the past with his back and everything, too. So... Um, I just, I hope that he can come back to full health for J-Bay and then by the time Lowers comes around that he is firing on all cylinders because I have a lot of money on him. <laughs> yeah, there it is. No, you're right though. Like it, it, it would feel, you know, with the location being at Trestles and Felipe Toledo not there, th th then there become the questions around, you know, how legitimate was the world title. So I definitely think, you know, Felipe Toledo needs to be there at Trestles and it'll be an awesome show. So yeah, I hope it's all good. All right, that's all I got. Come ups, let downs. Is it time? Do you want to do a blind mice? I heard you might have had a blind mice. Yeah, sure. Let's get into one. Well, I don't think that it's necessarily... I, I, I'm cool with it and I guess I want to hear your opinion. Like, Yago's 10. And for me, it's a 10 every day of the week. Um, just going to quickly drop in a voice note here from Paul Fisher about what he thinks about uh, Yago getting a Yeti cooler for his 10. Welcome to another episode of Paul's Pondering. Uh, and I've been pondering on the fact that, mate, when a surfer gets a 10-point ride on the world fucking championship tour, they get a fucking esky. <laughs> a fucking esky. Are you fucking kidding me? That is unbelievable. So what are they meant to do with this cunt? Fill it full of beers and then use the lid to go down some fucking hills? <laughs> wow! You get a 10-point ride and you get a fucking esky. Unbelievable. Mate, what about a thousand bucks? Just a thousand bucks. Are you kidding? They used to give Nixon watches worth 10 grand for a 10. Now you get a fucking esky. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, now, look, a lot of chat around whether that was a 10 or not. For sure that was a 10, man. Did you see how high he fell from the sky? Crew couldn't even do a barely do a backside Rio on sections like that, let alone an air like that. So I'm, I'm all, I'm, I think it's fine. Like, what, what do you think? I'm fine with it on so many levels. First of all, it takes off on a big wave, doesn't even pump, just straight bottom turns, not even all the way at the bottom, like doesn't have time to get to the bottom of the wave. Mm. Drops down halfway down the wave, does a mid-face bottom turn, goes straight through the lip, and comes down and lands perfectly in the flats. Like the most perfect air you could ever do. 
Also, it's not as if this 10 like determined him winning the heat. It's not like he needed a 9.7. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's just like in the context of everything. And also, there's historical precedent for this. Felipe did the same exact thing last year. I reckon Yago's was better. It was way cleaner than Felipe's. And Felipe also got a 10 in his first ever Brazilian final, which he won for a big air burst. I think that one was frontside. But I don't know. It just to me it makes sense on so many different levels. It didn't affect the heat. It was uh, could not have been done better. Like, there's not a single person on earth who could have done what Yago did there better. And it was a big wave, and, it, like, yeah, it was just, it's there. It's perfect. It's a 10. 100%. Yep. So, so good. Well done. If you want to check out some um, iPhone vision, like, from the beach, which is incredible, uh, it's on Leandro Dora's Instagram, Yago's dad. Like, someone's filmed it on the shore. And the the buzz and the eruption is, you know, again, probably left that out of the come-ups, but, like, the Brazilian crowd, that they 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 know what they're looking at and and they obviously you know they cheer everyone and they definitely cheered when Yago landed this air it was incredible yeah okay so my blind mice if there is one by the way blind mice is our section in the um in the daily write-ups where we call out a judging call that we thought was a little questionable my one is baron mamiya needed i think an 8.5 at the end of his quarterfinal heat with john john ripped the shit out of this wave a really good wave too like first section was so steep just went straight through the lip banged it three more times in the context of the heat, I think it could have been there. Again, I can't verify because the fucking heat analyzer is down. I don't know what's going on. We need to call Elo back because I think he was the one man in the tools there. But um, I don't know if you saw that, Stacey. But to me, that was definitely, at the very least, questionable. I didn't see it, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued now. So I'll also get on the blower to Elo and ask um, where the heat analyzer is at. All right. Now, the most important and my favorite section of this entire podcast. Let's get into the gamble ramble. Mikey. How'd you go? I saw Adrian Hellman up on the Gold Coast the other day, and he was very happy that Katie Simmons come through for the win. It's it's uh, narrowly put him ahead. What about yourself? Narrowly. Oh man. Yeah. Sorry. I feel for you, Adrian. Uh, I came up. A th- no, not $1,320. I won $1,320 on Yago alone. I put $40 on him to be the event winner, thanks to your tip, Stacy, and also he's Yago. But I won thirteen hundred. Sorry, one thousand three hundred twenty dollars on Yago. I won six hundred dollars on a fifty dollar bet on Katie Simmers for being the event winner. All up, I made one thousand nine hundred eighteen U.S. dollars in Brazil on BetOnline.ag. They're a supporter of the podcast. They're a supporter of the daily comp wraps that you read every single day, and they're a supporter of me. My season total for the year is five thousand two hundred nineteen dollars in the black. Let's fucking go. You're going to the Mets, baby. Let's go. Oh, my God. Is that your biggest single event win? Yeah, biggest one. The other one before that was Sunset. It was like 1400 Oh, my God. Yes, Mikey. Well done. That's sensational. Yeah, it feels good. And it's crazy. Like, I've had, we've talked about it. I've had one event loss this season. I imagine there's got to be a big <laughs> loss coming somewhere. J-Bay, Chopes, Blowers, it's, it's, it's got to be brewing. As long it's as been... you don't throw any more $2,000 bets down on women's <laughs> round two, I think you might be safe. <laughs> I hope so. But yeah, let's let's finish out the uh, the season strong. BetOnline.ag, it's where you make bets in America. It's the one site that really lets you do it over here. Obviously, Australia, you got a bunch going on. But if you're in the States, BetOnline.ag, proud supporter of the podcast. Now, Stacy. We are in the midst of a Challenger Series event going on in Belito. So before we close out, let's just do a pick. And uh, by the way, J-Bay's just 10 days out, so keep that on your ballot as well. But who do you got for Belito? 
Uh, Bolito, the waves that they're going to be firing, uh, it, it's kind of like an amazing peaky right-hand beach break. It's such a sick event to tune into and watch. Like four-man heats out there is so cool. You know, waves don't go missed and there's like... There's left air ramps down the beach. There's big right open face carved sections. Like it's cool, cool event and a cool place. Like if you ever get a chance to go there. South African tourism also sponsored this podcast. No, they don't. It's a great part of the world. Um, and uh, yeah, love, love watching that wave. Um, for the win, for me, I think you need to be a bit of everything. You need to be strong out on the open face. You also need to be able to do airs. I'm going to go Michael Rodriguez for the men. For the women, I am going to go, oh, this is a little harder just because, you know, I don't think the women are quite up to speed as the men with the aerial prowess just yet. They are warming up, though, that's for sure. So it's going to be a little bit more, I think, kind of like what Katie was doing in Brazil, you know, like really aiming up and hitting those big sections and, and coming down with, um, you know, authority. And I think Luana Silva is going to be the surfer to do that. So uh, they're my two picks, Mikey. What about you? All right, well, the waves are going to be good, but for now, they're a little bit on the smaller side. It's a little grovelly. We've got a video going up on the site soon of the 2% crew surfing waves that could not be described as more than 12 inches. They are a foot or under. I think Kolohe described them as three inches, and he's going so fucking fast on a couple of these waves. So I think he's going to get through those early round heats, groveling a bit, and then when it gets good, I think he's going to go full Portugal 2000. 13 or whatever it was he's going to get a big barrel into a big air and he's going to take it down it's going to be his first step toward getting back on the ct brother for the win i thought you were going to say portugal 2015 first ever challenger series win at gincho beach but no you're right all right so and on the women's side man it's tricky i think uh you know what i think Belito's like that sort of like wedgie where it gives you like a stand-up section and then kind of a flat section and then a stand-up section and a flat section. And we saw Caroline do really well with that in El Salvador on her backhand. So I'm going to go with a goofy foot. I'm going to say Alyssa Spencer is going to get her win out there as well. I had a feeling you were going to say Alyssa Spencer. Great pick. She's been there early. She went to J-Bay early, then she's done the Pro Junior. I think she's in the final already of the Pro Junior, which hasn't actually uh, run yet. So she's got a few heats under her belt already. That's a, uh, a great pick there, Mikey. Well done. 2% crew going huge in South Africa. And then, like I said, we got J-Band 10 days. So stay tuned for another podcast between me and Stace before that, where we'll probably go over some of the results of Bolito and some picks for J-Bay. And that's a wrap. On you, Mikey. Go and buy your wife a nice bottle of wine. You're on fire, son.